0: discussion that Phil and Darren and I had just about the the church and the finances of our church and uh, we decided it would be good for me to preach a sermon upon giving uh, before we took our vacation and we decided this months ago I think Darren and Phil we decided a while ago and um, I said i was going to be done before vacation and uh, my vacation starts tomorrow and so no time like the present right Waiting until the the last minute to speak about that. Our family is leaving for vacation in California tomorrow. We'll be gone for three weeks. You can pray for us um, at that time, during that time, just that we would be refreshed, come back energized for the work. And also you can pray for Carissa. We're going to drop her off at college. She's going to Jackson Hole Bible College, which is essentially a uh, a one-year discipleship program at Community Bible Church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming a difficult place to be, but Chris is going to be there, and really, just kind of, she's worked hard in her school. She has her uh, associate's degree, and she's kind of taken another year just to devote to the scriptures, and so I really pray for her as she does that. Jacksonville Bible College is also, part of this is not just the Bible, it's also some trips to geological places, Mount St. Helens, Um, where else are you going? Yellowstone, Grand Canyon, and... um, Zion, Arches, a bunch of different places to really just show and look how the Bible is true, just how Genesis can be reconciled, a short six-day creation with the evidence from the flood. Um, And so she'll do that. Also, spring break is an extra trip to Israel she gets to do. So are you jealous? Are you envious? (laughs) Many of you parents, I I know you are, but that's what Krista is doing. Uh, My absence, Bob Clinton, is going to be here next week to speak with you. Um, and uh, um, um, Phil Guski told me that it, it is the first Sunday of the month so there is potluck and he said that Dalbot's going to be one of the things on uh, the potluck menu so that would be good for you he's going to give us a bit of a history in our involvement in Bakunde and opportunities coming in, um, in India as well a uh, week after that Darren Weeby's going to be preaching and Darren, your Micah chapter 3, 3 and 4 3 and 4 so you can prepare reading Micah if you want to. And then Kip Sonsek, a, a favorite of all of you last time he was here, he was going to be preaching on August 19th. And uh, I, I hope what happens is the same thing that happens when Avon and I returned from Nepal. I went to Nepal um, mid-April, beginning early May. And um, we were gone for whatever, two and a half weeks. And uh, some of the kids were in California. Chris and Asar were here. And, and we're, riding, we're riding back home, and uh, we're in the van, and Michelle Hook tells me, I'm not sure where you are, Michelle, She said, uh, yeah, the church is doing even better than when you were here. <laughs> so, I say, wonderful, and we hope that that takes place. In fact, in many ways, just um, I, my desire is to lead you, but not, not necessarily take front and center stage. We had a prayer meeting today, and... Uh, just it was really encouraged that we we're talk, go, working over Psalm 91. Many of us are working on memorizing that and people just commenting on the text a little bit and their thoughts. And then Phil turned to me and said, Steve, you have any thoughts? And, and my my biggest thought was this, is that how wonderful that I'm not leading this, but that, that people are, are letting the Word guide them and totally apart from me. And I, I just remember I said something like, good stuff is like all I said. Uh, just I, I long to see us be a body that follows the Lord rather than necessarily a a person. Well, today I want to address the issue of giving. It's a pretty general topic. My message today is going to be topical rather than uh, textual. Um, Chad Mitchell, I remember yesterday, said, oh, it means we should bring our checkbooks to church, huh? <laughs> Get ready. Well, maybe the Lord will convict you, um, and that is, that is okay. That's, that's good. At Rock Valley Bible Church, we we don't place a strong emphasis. We don't bring much attention to the matter of giving. We, uh, we don't pass an offering plate, like many churches too. It's okay. We don't. Instead we have a little offering box in the back. If God moves you, you can contribute to the needs our ministry, uh, just right back there. We don't put weekly financial updates in the bulletin. I know some churches do this, right? Sunday school offering, main offering and, and giving you just all this time updates. We don't do that instead we place financial updates in the overhead each month. I want to put that in your bulletin so that you have that just to be informed of where we are and where we're going. We don't make constant announcements up forth, pleading for you all to give money to the church. Instead, we do just an occasional sermon like this from time to time to just reinforce you the priority of giving. Because giving is important for all of you and many of you have embraced that. Now, I think some of the reasons why we don't make a lot about giving is really twofold. First is we want to avoid the accusation of just being money-hungry people. It's all we want. I remember hearing someone say that about Rock Valley Bible Church, oh, all they want is your money. And I was like, what are you talking about? We have an offering box. We rarely talk about money. but just, I'm telling you, it is, it is where we are, it's the culture in which we live, is that people see the televangelists on TV and sees them for the sham that they are. And, and they hear about churches, you know, just trying to long for money and, and talking about it all the time. And that's, that's the impression. And so we do what we can to fight against just the pervasive mood that says church is about money and church is about Jesus Christ. And, and maybe to a fault. Okay, I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying we're trying to strike a balance between responding to the culture that, that gets it so wrong, thinks we're all, all about this, and yet being balanced on the, on the other hand. So, the second reason why we don't bring a lot of attention to it, I think in many ways, because God has always provided for us. God has given us, in this body, some very generous people who understand giving. They understand giving to the Lord. He gives sacrificially. They give without recognition, they give without strings attached, just giving to the work of the Lord. And, and for that I am I'm thankful and we give great glory to God with that. Let me say though that, that that comes with some problems and difficulties. When you have a few who understand and give much sacrificially, it can leave the many kind of with an attitude that, why do I need to give? I know there are some people here in this congregation who feel no obligation to give to Rock Valley Bible Church because everything has been paid for. We don't need money. Why don't I give my money elsewhere? Well, if, think about it. If everyone had that sort of perspective, then nobody would give. Well, that's all they can give. Right? We don't need to give anything. And it's true that all our needs are net. We need continual support. We need increase in support to continue to progress. I mean, our, our, We're getting fuller and fuller all the time. Um, one of the things I try to do to give a vision for that is we have an an empty room um, just kind of down the hall across from my office, and uh, I forget who it was. One of the kids, I think maybe it was you, Nathan, they call it the spare room. You guys familiar with the spare room? That's a, a slight allusion to the Chronicles of Narnia. It's the spare room, and I actually call it the assistant pastor's office is what I call it. That just as more people come, we can just continue to enlarge our ministry at some point, even having an associate pastor would be a wonderful thing. And you'd see just even this building is provided for ample opportunity for the ministry to flourish. That would provide opportunities more, just, just more contacts uh, as we get bigger and bigger. We just need increased support if we want to grow we want to continue on, progress and make an impact. I want to give you a little history for some of you who are maybe new at Rock Valley Bible Church. Um, and for us, I want us just to think about what God has done. December of 2010, we're able to purchase this building, able to purchase it with cash, without going into debt. I don't have to preach. We got this mortgage, right? We need to pay off this mortgage. I just know that people, it's hard to give to debt, retirement. So, we came to this building without any debt, and and I, I didn't realize this, but as I speak with others, and, uh and I don't, I don't really put this out there, but as I speak with others when talk about this building. One of the things they inquire about is, um, so what's your mortgage like? Or can you afford your mortgage? Or how are things going? And if I mention that we don't have a mortgage, they're like kind of shocked. Because usually here's the plan. Is the church is going, it's growing, and then they say, oh, but we need a building. And so they'll, they'll raise enough money for a down payment. Get a down payment and then move into the building hoping that there'll be enough to be able to... Um, to pay off the mortgage. And if that was our plan, we'd be speaking a lot more about money than we do. If that was our plan, we would have run the course. We may have run the course of other churches in town. There are churches in town laying off a lot of their staff because they've overextended themselves. There are churches in town who are on the border of bankruptcy because they've overextended themselves. And just, I'm grateful for God's provision for us. And I just say we need to live within the means of what God has given us. Now let me talk about purchasing this building. It didn't just happen. It's not like just poof, you have a, a building. All right, this this took a long time for for many, 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 many years. Rock Valley Bible Church, we lived below our means. That that we were taken in, we didn't spend everything. Okay, intentionally, just right from the start. What we did, kind of as soon as. As soon as financially we're independent, we came up here, Kishwaukee Bible Church supported us for about a year and a half until we we're up here. And as soon as we we're financially independent, I said, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to um, give away 10% to missions, and we need to save 10%, and let's live on 80%. And actually, what we try to do is live on 70% or 60% so that we could save and, and have a buffer there. And, and over the course of nine years, Just kind of with that sort of philosophy, we were able to save two-thirds the cost of the building. $250,000, something like that we saved. Uh, Maybe a little bit more than that, I believe. And then what we did is we had a final push, one-time gifts, able to purchase this building. Now, that was kind of a hard stretch. We're nine years in a rented facility with the only physical presence being an office in my third-car garage uh, it's kind of more difficult than you might imagine. People would come into the church, and I think towards the end, we have, well, how long have you been here? we say, well, we've been here about eight years. And they kind of look upon us, and maybe a hundred people, and they're like thinking, if eight years you've only been here, what kind of future do you have? And they didn't realize that, you know what, we're saving for a future so that we could purchase a, a building that we did to some degree, it, it made ministry difficult. I mean, we have seen ministry prosper here, and we have a building. We've been able to use it for kids club, been able to use it for Bible studies, being able to use it for meetings, being able just to help reach people. We've been able to invite others in. Uh, occasionally, I hope to do that even more. Like, remember when Tony Sinelli is here. We just even had more opportunities. We've been able to Sunday nights has been a possibility. It's just it's just open to use in a much freer and much more open way, and we'd like to see this. Continue. Now, in now on one hand, since we've moved in here, what we've done is we've increased our, our missions giving from 10% to 15%. Just that, you know, we, we just we give that away. We're trying to still save 10%, though there are some remodeling around here that we need to do. But just even we're 15% now that we have this. And I want that number just to steadily increase. And you know what my aim is? What's my aim? 50%. Half of the money that we take in, undesignated, I want to give away. We are wealthy Americans. We ought to be able to do that to be able to bless the poor church across the world. Now, not all things are perfect in this building. Um, If you think they are, then usually all you need to do is look at the carpet, right? You've seen how faded it is. Um, Now, one of the wonderful things about the carpet where we are is I remember we planted Kishwaukee Bible Church about 20 years ago. I've told this story to some. And uh, we were meeting in actually the home I grew up in. Um... And uh, one of the things we had there, we, we had our Saturday night service, and then we had a Sunday morning service in our house. And I think our last service there, Dad, I think you're saying like 60 people were there in our house. And it's kind of cram-packed. And then we had a, a potluck meal after every Sunday service. So think about having 60 people in your house, food, and the mess that would make. Now, one of the things, we had a family room, and it had this old red carpet there and that's primarily we say to stay in the kitchen or maybe go on the porch or go into that room and uh, that was some old carpet that my mom knew was going to be replaced someday just as soon as the church would get out of there And we rented a, an auditorium for a while and so if something was spilled on the carpet no big deal because it's going to be replaced here pretty soon and that's one of the big benefits of where we are if something gets spilled in the room over there no big deal going to be replaced, and we need to have it replaced. We need the, the flooring. It's, it's buckling. The, the carpet is, is kind of buckling up. Uh, the walls need some help, right? We're stuck in the 1990s, I think, unless you like that feel. We have some bathroom issues that need upgrading. We have literally come into this building and used it as is. You know why we haven't done all those upgrades? Do you know why we haven't done those upgrades? We don't have any money to do those upgrades. So we're going to endure with that wallpaper, and we're going to endure that floor while we don't have money. Budget has been tight. It's been tight, but I said we have received a large gift recently to help ease some of that, and we're going to start to maybe see what we can do. And the most—it's not like we're swimming in money or anything like that. But even we've had an interior decorator in here, just beginning to look to think about some ideas about. Uh, things that we can do. Just, just, and we're going to try to do it as frugally as possible, make the biggest impact as possible, but just slowly um, renovate and change and update the look in here. But we're only going to do that as God gives us the money. And, and you know, some we're trying to model as a church how you all should live. I think about our home, and um, we we have this um, linoleum floor that is um, coming up in some places. And Avon um, has wanted a floor laminate there for many years. She's not here. She'd say amen to that for many years. But it costs some money. And I'm like, it's okay. Let's wait. Let's wait. Let's wait. Let's wait. And finally, here over vacation, uh, we're going to have some, some wood floor, some laminate installed. I've talked to my uh, brother-in-law. Here's the neat thing is we're gonna leave a vacation on Monday and we come back three le- three weeks later and our floor is gonna change. Just poof, it's gonna be nice. It's gonna be wonderful. Wood laminate floor. We've purchased everything and, and, and geared up everything. But we haven't gone and purchased it on credit. We've waited until we've had the, the ability and we've just gone ahead and done that instead. And I say as a church, let's let's live that sort of way. I I want I want us as a church, okay we get our money in, we give some. Right? We're up to 15% now. We save some for a future building, for maybe we had to build a nest egg a little bit, for maybe an associate pastor comes in. Uh, maybe for a building someday, maybe for a church plant someday. I don't know. We just need to start, start building up a nest egg so that we can use it funding for the ministry and then live on the rest. So let's live on our, let's see, 50%. let us live on our 75% of what comes in. Let's, let's try to do our repairs with that much. Let's try to live below our means. Let's avoid the perils of debt. And I just say, make it your goal to live on less and less and less and less the percentage of what has been given to you so that you can give more and more and more and more of that away. You say, Steve, that sounds strange. Well, Randy Alcorn knows an older couple. Has such a mentality. He said, well, Why don't you write down your thoughts on giving? This is what this couple wrote to Aunt Randy Elcorn. He says, quote, Our life's purpose for giving is as follows Help fulfill the Great Commission by giving 50% of our annual income to Christian causes that have the greatest leverage. This is a family. To do this, we must maximize our income, consult with people knowledgeable about the ministry, and select the best organization support. We have averaged about 33% for the last 15 years. In the most recent two years, we moved to fifty percent of our gross income. It's a wonderful thing, right? And I say that that would be a good goal for you, be a good goal for us. and it's difficult to do that i mean if you if your income is at poverty line, I mean certainly but but I would say if your income increases, just think about, well, I've been able to live here, maybe I just keep living here and, and give more. My message this morning is the crux of my command. Be a giver. It's my message titled this morning, Be a Giver. It's my heart for all of you. I want all of you to have a heart for giving. I, I want for you all to be giving people. I, my outline just have three questions. Why? Why, Steve, do you want people of the church to be givers? Really it comes in two parts first answer my my question first of all it's the nature of our faith the nature of our faith is a giving faith the core of our message is this, is god has given us a gift and god has given us a precious gift and god has given us his son the most basic and most loved of every portion of all portions of scripture is john 316 once you turn there if you're looking your bibles are closed in your lap that's okay, we're going to zip to passage after passage after passage today. John 3.16 You probably know it well. It says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. There it is. God giving His Son to give us eternal life. God giving His Son who died upon the cross for our sins, that those who believe in Him We'll have everlasting life. The next verse says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through Him would be saved. God sent His Son to be the Savior. And through faith in Him, He's given us salvation. We're saved from our sin. We're saved from eternity in hell. We're given joys in heaven forevermore. Psalm 1611. And we receive this gift undeserved, unmerited, and solely by His grace. Right? Ephesians 2.8.9 You can turn over there. Maybe you have that memorized as well. Ephesians 2.8.9 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. Paul says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And what's His gift? He's given us Salvation. He's given us grace. He's given us faith so that we might be reconciled to the Lord, so we might know salvation, all of His kindness and grace. And, and I just say, we need to continually put this before our minds, that, that we're saved by His grace, we're saved by His gift, we're saved by His Son. In fact, that's why at the end of our service this morning we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we do every four to six weeks or so, Just again to reflect and remember upon Jesus Christ our Savior. An opportunity for us to remember how it is that we're saved through the shed blood of Jesus. That song we sang, Jesus, my great high priest, who offered himself and died, my guilty conscience seeks no sacrifice beside. It's just one atoning sacrifice is all we need to stand before the Lord. He died the death that we should have died. Thus, we escaped the penalties of sin and lived the death that He deserved. And lived the life that He deserved. And we need to realize that the great implication of the cross upon our lives. As the hymn writer says, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus died for me, therefore, what? All to Him I owe. Everything of me... I owe to Jesus. That's why Jesus said, right? Whoever wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. That means I'm done with myself. I'm giving myself all to God. Paul said it this way, He died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Christ died for us. That we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but we should live for Him who died and rose on our behalf. Isn't that, that a giving faith? Isn't that what it says? That God has given Himself to us so that we give ourselves to Him. Christianity is a giving faith. So even this morning as we speak about giving, the primary focus of my message is financial, to be sure. But I want you to go beyond that. God calls us to give our lives. He gives of our, of our everything, which a subset of which is your checkbook. Don't think the Christian life, the Christian giving, is only about your checkbook. It's more holistic than that. Christ gave Himself to us that we might give ourselves to others. Now, the second part of my answer, right? Um, why do you want people in the church to be givers? Is because it's good for you. This is the best thing for you, is to be a giver. Uh, Acts chapter 20, you can turn over there. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus, a place called Miletus right there on the coast, so he can get to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And um, he speaks to them uh, about his own ministry, and he speaks to them about a danger that awaits their ministry, and then he commends them, verse 32, to God and the word of His grace. And then he speaks about his own ministry, his own financial integrity. Giving his brief testimony, he said this, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In other words, when I I came, I was making tents and I was earning my own income. And so I was not just pilfering from you. I, I was earning myself. In everything, verse 35, I showed that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul wasn't in the ministry for the money. Paul wasn't coveting other people's stuff. Instead, he earned his own living and he himself helped the weak. He helped the poor. He helped the downtrodden. Why? Because he knew that by working hard and giving to others in this way is the path of blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, no, it's, it's a blessed thing to receive. When, you, when you're when you coming to shortfall and someone gives you some money maybe to help meet that shortfall, or when you need something and someone gives you that, it's a blessed thing to receive. But it's more blessed to be on the giving end of that, to have the resources, to be able to give others, and then, by the way, receive the joy of giving. The joy of giving. Can't be described, can't be paid for, but you know what it's like Right? When you, you give maybe a present to your, your son or your daughter, you, you get the joy in having them enjoy it. And so likewise, when you give to those in need, you get a joy that they can use what you have been able to give them. And you know what? God looks for givers and He blesses them. I'm reminded one of the things of Bob Clinton, who will be here speaking next week, missionary to Nepal. I remember one of the things that he has constantly taught me. He's in Nepal serving orphans and widows. Uh, coming alongside the church. I'm not sure how many children he takes care of, but maybe 150, something in the order of that. So he's raising funds here in America to support 150 children to be able to go and make a difference in Nepal. Um, because of the extent of his work, he doesn't care for them all himself. He employs many Nepali people. I'm not sure how many. 30, 50, uh, something like that. Employs a lot of them just as the overhead costs to take care of all these children. And uh, one of the things he, he told me, he says this, when, when he looks for people that he's going to employ, he looks for the givers rather than the takers. He, he looks for those who are humble servants who give away what little they have. He looks for those who selflessly give themselves, not looking for a hand themselves. And I tell you, in Nepal, it is a dependent society and, and people have open hands like, like this. Give me, and they want, and because they they don't have anything, but but there are some people in Nepal, and I've seen them, who have very little. Who, when they're given, tend to give it away and tend to help another child or tend to help somebody else rather than looking to their own needs. And Bob says that's the one that I want to employ because that's the one that's trustworthy, and because that's the one that's going to work hard, that's the one that's going to have a heart for other people rather than just looking into it for themselves. And I think God works by this principle as well. God looks for those who are are givers and He seeks to bless them. Luke chapter 16. Again, you can turn over there if you're flipping with me. If not, you can just listen. Luke chapter 16, 10 to 12. Jesus says, He who is faithful in a little thing is a faithful also in much. And that's where Bob Clinton is talking about, right? You're faithful in just a little bit. You'll be faithful in a much. If you just give it a little bit and you give it away, we'll, we'll give you a little bit more. And you give it away. You give it a little bit more and you just continue to, to give things away and to serve others with what you have opportunity. He says, But he was unrighteous, verse 10 still, in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, then if you've not been faithful in the way that you use your money, who will entrust the true riches to you? The true riches are eternal heavenly riches. And, and what Jesus is saying this is, are you faithful with the money that God has given you? Are you a good steward of that money? Are you so stupid? Do you just spend it? Or do you invest it wisely, whether it's in people or your own investments to, to grow and expand? See, God looks how we, He uses our wealth and He finds those people who are, are faithful in unrighteousness Wealth is what it's called here, just in earthly dollars that we have. And those who are faithful will be given true riches. I'm telling you, giving a, being a giver is good for you. God will look with favor upon you and will repay you, will help you, will support you in ways you don't even understand or know, or maybe will not know about until eternity. So, my question to you is this Are you a giver? Do you give your life to others? Do you give what you have to others? Will you be entrusted with true riches? Be a giver. Well, it's my second point. How much? Well, how much? Steve, you want me to to give? Right? Isn't that the question? When I say how much, right? You're thinking about, okay, how much should I give? Can I um, say that's the wrong question to ask? It's not how much should I give. What's the right question? How much should I keep? That's the right question that you should ask. Psalm 24. You can turn back there if you want in your Bible. Psalm 24. Just the very first verse of this psalm it sets everything in perspective. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. You say, Why? For He has founded it upon the seas and establishes, established it upon the rivers. God is the One who made the world. God is the One that owns the world. God owns everything. Everything. God owns every. What does God own? Everything. So you think about what does God own? Who owns the clothes you wear? God. Who owns the food you eat? Who owns the car you drive? Okay, okay. Let's let's try this again. Who owns the clothes you wear? Right? Who owns the food you eat? Who owns the car you drive? Who owns the house where you live? Who owns the pen you write with? Who owns the chair where you sit? Who owns the bed where you sleep? We can keep going on and on and on and on. God is the one that owns everything. You know what? If you have this perspective, it makes giving easy. Did you know that it's incredibly easy to give away someone else's money? The Democrats have understood this. Both sides. During uh, Bush's reign as well, the whole stimulus bill, he gave away a billion dollars. Okay? Politicians understand this. Every politician, it's fun someone gives you money, you got to give it away. It's like, oh, no hurt off my back. That's just yours. We have the joy of giving away God's money. If you see it rightly, there's great joy in giving. You know, there's nothing that you have that you have not received. 1 Corinthians 4.7 The real question is this. Not how much should I give, but how much should I keep? Now, there are, there are many people that say you should keep 90%. Okay? Or to put it another way, they say that you should give 10% of your income. It's commonly referred to as the tithe. Tithe means tenth. They say that you should give away 10% of your income to the local church. Because we see in the Old Testament, or they see that the Old Testament people are required to give their tithes. Now, here's what I fear about that teaching. Okay? By the way, I disagree with that teaching. Alright? There, there's a certain smugness that comes to those who tithe. Well, I've given my ten cent. to the Lord. Now I get to do whatever I want with the 90%. And there's almost this, look it, I've I've made my righteous duty, now I get to enjoy my materialism. With a smugness and a comfortability that God is very happy with all they're doing. But think about when God, Jesus called us to follow Him. You remember what He said in uh, Luke chapter 14? You can turn over there. I haven't got it memorized. But here's Luke chapter 14. This is when it says in verse 26, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. He's he just saying, you gotta, you got to love Me supremely above all other loves if you want to be My disciple. And then he says in verse 33, So then none of you can be My disciples does not give up all his own possessions. The, the, the same qualifications Jesus gives in terms of, of life and living and self sacrifice, He gives in your financial realm too. You need to give it all up. In other words, you need to see it's God's. You need to figure out how much you're going to keep. And those who say you just need to give a tenth and you're doing good, I think fail in several regards. I think they fail in understanding the Old Testament. I mean, Israel was required to keep three tithes the first tithe, was required to give to the Levites to perform their duties. The priests, if you will, to make the sacrifice. They need to help fund them some. A tenth to the Levites. Every year. Taxed. Done. Tenth to the Levites. A tenth required to the festivals, which are celebrated in Jerusalem three times a year, right? So a tenth. Another tenth off the top goes to the festivals to support these three festivals that they had. Every third year, they're required to give a tenth to the needy. The Levite and the alien and the orphan and the widow. So you start adding that up. 10% each year to the Levites. 10% to the festivals. 10% every three years. It's like a third every year. The tithe in the Old Testament is 23%, not 10%. If you want to advocate, say we should give a tithe, that's wonderful. If you say, let's give the Old Testament tithe 23%. I don't hear anybody saying that. But that's what the Old Testament says. Well, some will say, well, it's like our taxes, right? Israel was a theocratic state. So giving to God was really giving to the state. And so that that was given to the, the festivals was like our public taxes. And that which was given to the poor was like our welfare. And that which is given to the Levites was like our church. Well, it sounds nice and neat, but New Testament doesn't teach that. And I believe this. New Testament nowhere requires a tithe. Nowhere. I don't believe we're under obligation to give a 10% of our income. I don't think we are. Let me give you a perspective, though. When Jesus spoke about the law, you remember what Jesus said? He said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, what did he say? Don't be angry with anyone. In fact, let's look at that. uh, Matthew chapter 5.
1: Verse
0: 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Matthew 5.22, But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. See what Jesus does? He says, okay, Old Testament, don't murder. And what does Jesus do? He steps it up. He says, it's not about external righteousness, it's about righteousness of your heart. And he says, even if there's the seed of murder in your heart, which is anger, you're guilty of murder. Alright, well, let's look at the other one. Adultery. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, external command, you're not committed adultery. What does Jesus do? He steps it up. It's a matter of your heart. Are you looking and thinking about adultery? Well, you've committed adultery. See, it's not just the external act, it's the, the internal heart behind the act that God holds us accountable to. And what about this one? Um, about vows. Right? Where's this one? Yeah, verse thirty three. And you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all You're in heaven on earth. For it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of the feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. What are you saying? He's saying, okay, if you make an oath, you going know, to make sure you keep it. What does Jesus say? What does He do? He ratchets up. He says, everything you say should be truthful. You shouldn't have to give a vow because everything you say is trustworthy. He's just taking the command... And ratcheting it up. And so I would believe that regarding the tithe, Jesus does the same thing. He might say something like this. You've heard it said, you should give 10% of your income to the church. But I say to you, everything that you receive from the hand of the Lord is a gift. And you are a financial manager of His resources. Certainly you can invest more than 10% into His kingdom work, can't you? See, He takes the 10% and He just ratchets it up. I think that's in the spirit of the teaching of Jesus. I don't believe that we're required to give a tithe. I believe a tithe is a good place to start. It's a good place to start. Just like murdering anybody, not murdering someone, or not committing adultery, is a good place to start in your morality. Now those who advocate the tithe, go to Malachi chapter 3. Why don't you turn to their last book in the Old Testament. You're in Matthew, just turn to... Malachi, and, and they, they come right here and they pound this verse. They say, look, look how important the tithe is. This is talking to the Israelites. Verse 8, Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God and yet you are robbing me? <clears throat> God is saying, I've been robbed. You all are thieves and I have been robbed. And, and they didn't understand. We're robbing you? Huh? How are we robbing robbing you? Says in tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you blessing until it overflows. You understand what's happening here? People weren't giving the tithe, and God is saying what? You are robbing me. Everything short of the tithe is theft in the Old Covenant. So, think about that. That means if you tithe in the Old Testament, that means you've stopped robbing God. I think when I give to God, we can go beyond that. we we got to, I mean, you know, if you're going to give to somebody, you've got to get to some point where you stop taking from them, okay, at least get a neutrality, and the tithe was neutrality, and then you can start giving to God if you really want to give to God. And even in the Old Testament, it wasn't merely the the tithe. They didn't have the smugness that I fear so many Christians have in terms of, well, I've I've, got my... Because I hear questions like this. Well, am I supposed to tithe on the gross or on the net? Have you heard that question before? I'm like, if you're just dealing with the 10% level, and if you're trying to get this technicality, you're trying to feel good about your own righteousness, what you're trying to do. I've tithed on this. I'm good. Oh no, I've tithed on this. I'm good. And Jesus will never let us be comfortable with how much we give. Because we have to give it all to Him. Even in the Old Testament, they weren't bound by the tithe. They gave free will offerings sometimes. Remember Moses building the tabernacle? And he asked the people to bring money and materials. And they gave in such an abundance, they had to stop because... Exodus 36, the people restrained from bringing any more for the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. That's giving to God. That was above their tithe. It's above their 23 and the third percent. They just gave above that. Remember when David collected money to build the, the temple the people rejoiced because they'd offered so willingly and they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And David rejoiced greatly because they were giving, giving willingly and, and so much in abundance. They had everything they need. They, they really understood the joy of giving, of how joyful it is to give with a willing heart. And I fear that those who say you've got to keep a tithe, like, oh, it hurts on to give the tithe. Oh, I've got my duty. But you know what? You start giving beyond that and there's a joy that comes. Look at God, I'm sacrificing for you, and it, it, it's, it's your money anyway. I'm giving it out, and there can be this great joy. So what about today? How much do we give? A, a tithe? I say it's a good place to start. And I say start by keeping 90%, and ever shoot to have that percentage you keep go down and down and down throughout the rest of your life. So Randy Alcorn says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of of giving. Right. How about next time we get a raise, we say, well, rather than raising my standard of, of living, I'm just going to give more. I've, I've been doing good at the standard of living. I got more. Why don't I just give the more? And thereby keep less. A man named R.G. Letourneau, inventor of earth-moving machinery, determined to keep his income relatively flat. I couldn't verify this, but I remember um, hearing that he um, he, he, was, he was owner of this big company and he just kept a salary. He just had a salary and all the profits he gave away. And uh, he said, I, this is what I need to live on. And all the profits that came in, he says, that's mine. I'm just going to give it away. I'm just going to give it away. As God prospered him and his business, he gave more and more of his money away. At, at one point, he was giving away 90% of his income. He said this, I shovel out the money, but God shovels it back, and God is a bigger shovel. Or a man named Stanley Tan. I don't have it here in my notes, but here's, here's another one. He's in charge of um, president of U.S. Plastics. And he even went to a lawyer and said, I want to deed this company over to God. And the lawyer's like, you can't do that. And he finally found a lawyer that would deed his company over to God, and uh, basically, then any profits that they had then would be given to someplace else. Is really what it was. And this company just flourished and flourished and flourished. And Stanley Tan was doing fine financially, but he'd made a commitment: this is totally the Lord's business. Gave it away. So, how much do you keep? How much do you keep? That's the big question. I want you to be a giver. I want you to be able to look God in the face and say, God, this is how much I keep. Well, my last point. Why should we give? Well, because the nature of our faith. The gospel is a giving faith. And because it's good for us, how much? How much should we keep? Well, that question's up to you. I think I've tried to set God's standard. To whom? To whom should we give? Right, and here's something else that might be radical for you. I think that you can give to whomever you want. I think it's all up to you. Okay? I mean, if you're like our family is, you give to Rockefeller Bible Church, but you also support missionaries, you support some Christian institutions, you support maybe children in foreign lands, lots of different places where our, our, our finances go. And I, I trust that for many of you that's the same. The church reflects a, a part of your giving. And I just really trust the Lord will lead you in where you ought to give your finances. Let me just give you three quick categories of where you should give. And these come scripturally. First of all, give to those who help you spiritually. Now, in most cases, this means the church. If the local church is a blessing to you, you ought to give back to that ministry. God has given the church to help us grow in our faith. As spiritually, God is using that institution to help me should be given back to the church. Some instances, I'm thinking about this, maybe a missionary in a Muslim land without a church, maybe surviving on John Piper sermons, maybe giving some to desiringgod.org to keep that website up so that they can still survive in a a Muslim land. But I've worded this carefully. Give to those who help you spiritually because that's the principle. Galatians chapter 6. Let's turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. And it comes in, in verse 6. I'm having trouble. Here we come. Galatians 6, verse 6. The one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with him who teaches him. There it is. If you're being taught the Word at Rock Valley Bible Church, if the Word of God is helping you grow, then by all means, you should give to Rock Valley Bible Church. If you say, why, that's Steve. He's a lousy preacher. I don't get a thing out of that. You know what? You're exempt. Don't give anything to Rock Valley Bible Church. I said... But if you're being taught the Word, you should share with those who teach. Because, what well, here's what's happening. is God is doing something in your life, and if He's doing something in your life, He might do something in someone else's life. And He might do something in someone else's life. And, and that can only happen if you, you give and continue to have resource to see the ministry built up and grow. Jesus said, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Luke 10, verse 7 Paul said, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? The Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living by the gospel. Free will offering, just give what you want. There's no pressure. We're not taxing people, right? Not like the Mormon church. You got a tax bill. You're not getting a tax bill from Rock Valley Bible Church, okay? Whatever you give, but it is the gospel that will grow Rock Valley Bible Church. Paul wrote, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And part of being double honor for working out at preaching and teaching is financial. And preaching and teaching is hard work. For those of you who are preaching at Crimson Ridge know that. Okay, it's hard work. That's why you're going there. Because I want you to realize the hard work that it is. And without giving to the church the church that's helping you may go away. That's taken to the extreme. Okay, of course. Alright, so give to those who are benefiting you spiritually. Helping you spiritually. Second, give to the poor. Give to the needy. Give to those who cannot even hope ever to repay you back. Turn to Luke chapter 14. This is Jesus um, reprimanding the, the Pharisees and saying how wrong they got it. They were just giving them money who could pay back. In Luke chapter 14, He went to this nice luncheon, verse 12, and also He went on to say to the one who had invited Him, Jesus wasn't your best guest, He said this, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return and that will be your repayment. In other words, right? When you invite people to dinner at your house, don't just invite those who are going to have you back at their house, because then you're like repaid. But have people in your house who can't repay you, who don't repay you, who won't repay you, so that you've given. It's not like you get anything back in return. Verse 13, But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you'll be paid at the resurrection of the righteous. I think the principle we're saying is, is, help the poor who can never repay you. That's where true blessing comes from. That's what true blessing is to give to the poor. To those who have no chance to repay you. Maybe you remember the collection that Paul was seeking to gather from the churches in Macedonia and in Corinth. You can read about that First 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8. It was for the poor in Jerusalem who were suffering for their faith in Christ. And he was gathering up this contribution... To be able to gather this and give so they might give willingly to the saints in Jerusalem and be able to help them who couldn't repay them back. Investing in the poor is a way to invest the kingdom, okay? So invest those who are benefiting you spiritually. Invest in those who can't repay you back. And thirdly, give to grow the kingdom. By this, I mean missionaries, missions, evangelistic societies, church planting efforts, Bible schools, training centers, printing presses—whatever whatever's getting the gospel out, whatever's really ministering to people. Anything that plays a role in God's global kingdom, give to that. Um, Matthew chapter 9. You can turn there if you want. Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38, Then Jesus said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. Now, I don't think that Jesus is saying just pray for them that they go out in the harvest. And you're like, okay, good, you went out, wonderful. Oh, you went out over there, wonderful. I think He's saying, well, pray that they might have the ability to go out as well. And you reach into your checkbook to help them to get out as well. Praying involves corresponding financial commitment, so give to grow the kingdom. Give to those who are helping you spiritually. Give to those who can't repay you, the poor. And give and invest in a wise way to those who are growing the kingdom. And you need to know and discern that. And you need to figure out... I mean, if you're, you're giving money to some liberal arts institution, It's not helping. Give money to those who you know and trust, who are doing a good job, who you can see, you can visit, you can know whatever to, to propagate that in whatever way you can because you will be accountable for the money that you give away. God wants us to invest and invest wisely in His King. It's His King, it's His money and we're His um, financial planner investing and we need to invest strategically, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Look at Matthew 25. It's where I get this principle. Matthew 25, it's the parable of the talents. Jesus describes what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five talents more. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he received the one talent, went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five talents more, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And verse 22, And also the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful to few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, And the one also who had received... The one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and On my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more, and this is the bigger shovel principle, shall be given, and he has an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have, shall be taken away, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, into that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think this is a parable of stewardship. Uh, uh, I think that God gives us talents. This is talking about financially gives us talents. I think it also gives us resources of every kind. And at the end of our life, we're going to give an account with what we did with our, our resources. And if you take the resources that God has given you and use them and multiply them wisely, and I believe, right, give to those who support you spiritually, give to those who can't pay you back, and give to the greater cause of the kingdom, I do believe that God's going to welcome you say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you squander the resources, maybe hoarding them to yourselves, right, and, and you think about that, that might be just, just you're, you're in your house, kind of shelled up, kind of saying, I've got I to be protected, I've got to live faithfully from God. You're burying your talent. God says, just get it out there. Meet people, know people, spread the word, do whatever you can, right? Give far off. He said, for those who just keep it, God will say, You wicked, lazy slave. It's all up to you. And I'm just pleading you as your pastor to give, be a giver. It should be good for you eternally. You'll you'll never you'll never regret giving on your final day. It's our duty and our responsibility to multiply our resources for kingdom work. And and one day we can do this by one way we can do that by financing God's kingdom. Okay. So let's think about application for you. Now, I know some of you, God has blessed you greatly financially and you've been able to support the work of the church in a great way and for that I, I thank you. Some others of you, things have been difficult. Life circumstances have been difficult. You've been going from job to job. The recession has hurt. Your income has been unstable. You haven't been able to give as much. Not, not just to church, but anything. And I just say to this, I'm understanding. And some of you, life circumstances have been so hard that you don't have anything that you can give. Um, For you, I'm sympathetic. But whether you'll be able to give much or give little, God knows everything that's going on in your finances. God knows everything that's going on with your life. He knows what's going on with your income. He knows where you've been giving or not giving. And He's the one that holds you accountable. He's the one that will deal with you. He's the one that will reward you. And I hope... Will be rewarded abundantly. So I say, be a giver. It's the nature of faith, it's good for you. Give as much as you can. Give to the work of the kingdom as the Lord guides you, knowing that He'll hold you accountable. Okay, so let me pray. And then I'll, we got some other things before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that even this message that you'd help people see it's not a, a guilt thing. We we as a church are doing fine, oh Lord. You know that. We will get by, we will endure the carpet, right? We'll endure the walls. We'll endure the bathrooms. We're thankful for this place and, and we can do that, and yet God, we long to have it be a more attractive, comfortable place. So people walk in here, they think they're in America. They feel comfortable here as if they're going to McDonald's or Starbucks or some other restaurant or nice public place. And yet, God, we'll, we'll do with what you give to us. And yet, I would pray for these dear people whom I love. I pray you would help them to see how to invest their resources and how to divide up their investments. And what percentage to give here? What percentage to give there? And, and I pray that you would help them not to be content at any level. Even at 50%, God, may we not be content. Even as a church, may we not reach 50% 20 years from now and say we've arrived. But may we continue to give more and more and more away. May we be givers, O oh Lord. Because I know that's the kind of people that you delight in. For the glory of Christ, may we give up our possessions. And that's the only way the early church could live. It's the only way they could joyfully accept the seizure of their property. Because they're Christians. Because it was your property. And So help us, O Lord, to hold the things of this earth loosely and to, to invest it wisely in a way that will reap eternal consequences. Eternal fruit. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As a subset of my last point, to whom should we give? Uh, we we're talking about leadership, and, it, and it, we thought it would be good if we would have Ray Hook come and just even share his perspective about how we as a church give to those in need. He's primarily in charge of the Benevolence Fund, and when people at the church say, hey, they got a need, I normally direct him to Ray. He's got a great handle on how to help people. I just want to hear about what we do to, to help uh, in that way. So Ray, why don't you come up and then we'll transition and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Um, so this is kind of like a, a subset of my point. To whom do you help? How do you help? That's a, a big battle, how you help those really in need.
1: Well, there's really uh, two ways that we as a church help our own body of those needs. And um, one is in emergency situations. If you do have an emergency financial aid need, Um, contact myself or one of the elders. Um, uh, Phil is the elder in charge actually of of our benevolence and and, and how we give things away. Uh, We will meet with you um, either together or individually and determine whether financial aid is appropriate and if so, it will be given. It's that simple. If not, which is actually often the case that um, when we look into it, people can see that they cannot really help themselves. Um, We ask you to uh, and encourage you to take part in financial counseling, which is really the second way that we help. Uh, Right now, the counseling is done by Michelle and myself. Um, And A little bit of background on that. Before we moved to uh, Rockford, Michelle and I were involved with the Elmbrook Churches in Waukesha, Wisconsin's Elmbrook uh, Counseling Ministries. We both went through counselor training uh, for the sense counselor ministry and together we led several classes of Crown's um, Biblical Financial Concepts class and uh, we both started uh, but did not, was it, wasn't able to complete it before we moved and since then haven't really picked back up on it yet, uh, Crown Ministries uh, counselor training program. But the objective of that training and, and that counseling is to uh, provide practical financial assistance to the people in need. Is to communicate the vision of financial freedom uh, to people and the, the clients, to assist them in applying biblical uh, financial principles and stewardships of all areas of their lives, not just in the finances, and to assist them into um, learning how to create and live on a budget. Um, what it's not, uh, we don't get into um, investment counseling or retirement planning. We don't do uh, marriage or family counseling. Um, A lot of times finances can involve and be hard on marriages, but we really don't get into marriage counseling at that point, mainly with the finances. We don't get involved with legal work or estate planning. Uh, We don't intervene with creditors. Um, That is the client's job themselves if they're in trouble with that. (coughs) But um, we do go through a very well-defined process. And before we start, all clients are required to fill out a, a form that gives an overall financial overview um, that is kept strictly confidential with the, us and the clients. It's not shared with the elders or anything, anybody else in the leadership. Um, as we go through the process, there's a um, the counseling process is typically six to nine months long. Um, it can vary quite a way, uh, quite a bit depending on the on the situation that uh, person's in need. Uh, initial meeting is uh, just kind of introductions, reviewing the process, getting an understanding of where they're at. Um, second meeting is uh, to review progress on spending records. Um, we require that they all keep track of their records and what they're spending and, and categorize it. That's how we can help them build a budget. Um, third meeting is to review that spending plan and develop uh, spending record and develop a spending plan or develop a budget with them. Uh, continues on there to refine that as we go along and develop a debt reduction plan of how they can go through and, and reduce the debts and finally uh, completes with when they are able to work out their plan and stay on their plan and has a, a debt reduction plan and able to maintain it. So if during that counseling process that we determine that financial aid is warranted and that they need it and it can be um, that it's both needed and that they can accept it and be non-enabling so that it's not going to enable them to maintain bad habits but enable them to free themselves and to continue out um, working out of their their situation that they're in. Then we'll bring that need with Phil and Phil and I will discuss it and uh, determine how much we can help that family out and help them give. It's important to know that we don't just give handouts. Um, Every giving decision is carefully considered has always made by just one person. It's not just me. It's usually me and Phil, Michelle was involved a lot. If Phil's not available, maybe another elder uh, that we that we talk to and that decision is made. Um, the key thing is that we don't want to just give money away for people to use in bad habits. Um, we, we do keep track of what what they're doing with it and how it's and how they're how they're being supportive. If we do support somebody, be even beyond the counseling session. We will continue to meet with them on an ongoing basis as long as the church is supporting them uh, to see how they're doing, see how they're using that money and to uh, make sure it's still needed and to eventually then wind them off of that if, if it's a long term support. So uh, overall, that's how we as a church support people. If, um, if you feel you're in need um, and are interested in some counseling, you can contact me and Michelle. Um, You can do it privately, email, give us a call sometime. We'll set it up. You don't need to know. The only thing that is shared with with the elders is uh, we do let them know who we are helping uh, just so they know that uh, we are in in contact support and uh, in contact with these people. Um, And that's all.
0: Well, that's what we do as a church in terms of just being responsible. You're giving financially to the church we just need to be above reproach what we give and it um, doesn't mean you've got to go through nine months to give counseling with anybody to give money to but that's your money but if you entrust it to us we're going to be very careful with that and, but think about the promise if someone is open with their money what they spend and need we as a church will help them nobody's going to go hungry they follow and submit and just be open with what they're spending upon what they're using It. We're, we're committed to help anybody uh, if you need, great, Ray is a great resource. He's uh, had a financial aid class in the, in the past. Um, he'll do it again sometime. We've talked about doing it again at some point. He'll do it again, just a financial aid class to help people where they are. All right. Well, that that concludes my message. Let's transition to the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians 11.